0: Welcome to another episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Axe. It is great to have you here. Hey, how'd you find us? Did you follow the link right on Syracuse.com? That's cool. Did you find us off social media, maybe? Appreciate that. Here's a real easy way to stay in touch with the Syracuse Sports Podcast. You should subscribe in either iTunes or Google Play. Just find Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit the subscribe button, and then when we do a new episode like this one, Bing. It just shows up on your phone or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's so convenient. We got a good one for you today. A lot of football on this episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. We're going to have a conversation with Scott Hansen. Football fans, NFL football fans in particular, certainly know Scott Hansen because he is the host of the NFL Red Zone Channel, one of the great inventions. Ever, frankly, as a football fan, certainly a game changer in how fans have watched football in recent years. Scott is a Syracuse University grad. Now, he was on the SU football team from 1989 to 1992. But as you'll hear Scott tell you, he was kind of the Rudy of that team But he never got the big sack at the end of the movie. He never got the fairy tale ending. But he really enjoyed his time here at Syracuse balancing football and had a heck of a story. He is one of the more persistent people I think I've ever talked to. He was rejected from the Newhouse School of Communications several times. Had to write Coach Dick McPherson a letter seven times to just be a walk-on on the football team and has been pretty persistent in his career as a broadcaster as well. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Scott, the Coach Mack stories that he tells. He also tells us the origin of the NFL Red Zone channel. It was only 10 years ago, but it has become just such a normal part of the football fan's routine. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I watch the Bills, and then I got the Red Zone channel. On In the House, either with Scott or some of you watch it with another Syracuse alum on Direct TV, Andrew Siciliano. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Scott. The passion will come right through. But Scott played for Syracuse, and here we are on the dawn of another Syracuse University football season, and I think it's a pretty unique one. Now, maybe you've seen our Orange Weekly video on Syracuse.com with Nate Mink and myself previewing the season. We'd really appreciate it if you could watch that. Our previews are out. Our predictions are out. Hope is never higher than it is right here on the dawn of a new season, right? But I think Syracuse fans, the Syracuse football program, and everybody involved Are in a pretty unique situation because I think SU football fans have given Dino Babers a lot of leverage. I think they do trust the process. I think they really believe in what he's doing here. Now, you talk yourself into a narrative. You talk yourself into what you think a team should be. Now my prediction for the 2018 season is six and six. A boring old six and six, a team that just takes care of business, doesn't spring the big upset like it did against Virginia Tech two years ago, like it did against Clemson a year ago, just wins six games, a combination of any six games that gets them a bowl game, which is a status thing, right? You want to be a program that makes bowl games more often than not, because if you don't, coaches get fired. It's a status thing in terms of Syracuse taking a step forward after back-to-back four and eight seasons and a string of losing seasons in Syracuse. It gives you the 15 extra practices that coaches love to develop players and take a step forward as a program there. But even if Syracuse doesn't make a bowl game this year, let's say they go 5-7, and but we're competitive against some of the tougher teams on their schedule, continue to show progress. Eric Dungy has an amazing season. Hopefully he stays healthy. I feel like every time you say the name Eric Dungy, you have to say, Eric Dungy, if he stays healthy. It's like one word, right? There's a lot of questions out there about this football team, but I do not get the sense that it is bull or bust. I do not get a sense that people will start bailing on Dino Babers, even if they take a slight step back. I mean, I don't think anybody wants four and eight in three consecutive years, but you got to give the fan base a reason to believe you are advancing, you are improving, and that you are a program that's on the rise in the ACC. I think the upset wins the last two years, being competitive against the likes of LSU and Miami and Florida State and NC State a year ago. Syracuse fans are ready to see a breakthrough. That's what year three should be, a breakthrough year for Syracuse football. All the questions are there. The big one, of course, I just brought up. Can Eric Dungy stay healthy? Can they run the ball a little bit more this year? Syracuse has not had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2012. Are Dante Strickland and Mo Neal up to the task there? If you're going to have a 1,000-yard rusher and you're going to have a healthy quarterback, you need a big, strong offensive line. Dino Babers describes this offensive line as he's finally got the hippos that he needs in both the offensive and defensive fronts. He feels this is the best-looking group he's had since he's been here at Syracuse and the biggest and most physical group that he's been here that— He has since he's been here at Syracuse. That's important. It's also an experienced offensive line that brings in the right tackle, Coda Martin, who, of course, is Dino Baber's son-in-law. But uh, more importantly, from a football standpoint, a guy that started at Texas A&M a year ago. Who is going to be the big wide receiver on this team this year? Devin Butler was described by Dino earlier this week as his bell cow. Is he the next Steve Ishmael, the next Amba Etatawu, the next Er Phillips? You know, when you say the term system wide receiver, sometimes it's considered an insult, right? Well, you're a system quarterback. You're a system guy. In the case of Syracuse, though, it's not an insult. It's a compliment. So who is the next in line? If it's Butler, if it's Jamal Custis, if it's some of the youngsters like Nikeem Johnson, who can step up and put up the eye-popping numbers that Amba, Ishmael, and Irv Phillips put up before them. I think special teams is something to watch very closely. Syracuse's long snapper was hurt during camp, and the only time you ever hear about the long snapper is if they miss a snap or they're hurt. That's an important position. Sterling Hofrichter is going to take on both kicking and punting duties for this team. Special teams matters. Hashtag field position matters. We saw Cole Murphy last year walk on the field every time for a field goal. What were you thinking? You just didn't know what to expect. On the defensive side of the ball, you've got Chris Slayton up front, who is an NFL talent, who's going to draw plenty of double teams this season from opposing offenses, but he's still going to pressure the quarterback. He's still going to get his, if you will. Who else steps up on that defensive line? If it's Kendall Coleman, if it's a name I'm not even mentioning here that says, I'm ready for this. Syracuse has kind of switched to this 4-2-5 alignment. Now, you're going to see other defenses. I think you're going to see a lot of 4-3 when Syracuse plays Western Michigan in its opener Friday night. Because old friend Tim Lester and Tim Doust, used to be right here on the Syracuse coaching staff, as you certainly know by now, they're going to run the ball a lot against Syracuse in this game. But generally, you run a 4-2-5. And why? Because you have a talent in Antoine Cordy. As important as Eric Dungy staying healthy on the offensive side of the ball is, it may be more important that Antoine Cordy stays healthy on the defensive side of the ball. He is that important for that defense. He is a playmaker. He is all over the field making interceptions, making tackles. And what Antoine Cordy does in the back, what Chris Slayton does in the front, hopefully is hide your weakness in the middle. Syracuse has a big question mark in the middle. They have three of the most productive linebackers collectively in the history of the program that have left. Zaire Franklin... With the Indianapolis Colts, Paris Bennett unfortunately had to retire from football because of injury. And Jonathan Thomas, who steps up there? Kylon Whitner, Andrew Armstrong, who are the names ready to say we're next? Because Syracuse does have a good line of linebackers that has come through this program in the last 10 years. The secondary has players back that it needs has a Scoop Bradshaw back there, has a freshman in Andre Sisco at safety. We mentioned Cordy, who will float back there as well. Who can be the shutdown guys? Who can prove that the buzz that this secondary has been getting in preseason is worthy of the buzz they've been getting in this preseason? The questions are all there, but hope is never higher than that moment, that brief moment right before kickoff, Friday night at Western Michigan, Six o'clock kickoff, 559 and 59 seconds. That's the moment where hope is never higher. And then the ball kicks off, and everything we talked about gets blown up because it never goes the way we think it's going to. Here's to another football season, everybody. I hope it's one that lands Syracuse in a bowl game, gives the fans something to root for, and we'll be covering it all along, right here on the podcast. Little plug, hope you can check out my recap on Syracuse.com, and after every Syracuse football game, I'll be on Facebook Live on the Syracuse Orange Facebook page via Syracuse.com. So find that, like that, and check it out because you'll get a little notification that I'm live after every Syracuse football game this season, and that's brought to you by our friends at Krause Hospital. Without further ado, let us get to Scott Hansen. The host of the NFL Red Zone channel, a former Syracuse football player, Newhouse alum, and somebody who, as you will hear, is as persistent as they come and really loves Coach Mack. So we're here with Scott Hansen. And, and Scott, so let me get this straight. You have run with the Bulls. You have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. (laughs) You have hiked the Great Wall of China Uh, gone great white shark cage diving in both Australia and Mexico and hit six of the seven continents. But all of that pales in comparison to surviving a Syracuse winter. True or false?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely true. In fact, the winter, what was it? We could go back in the archives. The winter of 92, I think. I remember, and I'm from Michigan originally, but when I left Michigan to get my education at the Harvard of, of central New York, uh, I couldn't believe that the the snowbanks had come all the way up to chest level, <laughs> and just when, when they when they plowed the sidewalks, so that myself and the rest of the students could could, could walk around the hill. There, unbelievable. But yeah, good. And by the way, uh, you you do some deep research there to find out all those little factoids and things about me. I mean, I guess those are, those are some life highlights there. But uh, but I tip my cap. It's right
0: on your NFL Network bio. I'm not going to lie. Oh, oh, yeah. oh,
1: okay, okay. Well, now this one in turn gets credit for it at, at the NFL, <laughs> <right>? <laughs>
0: So this one I did a little bit more research on it. it's about your time at Syracuse. So, you described your time here as a football player as basically you were Rudy but without the big play at the end of the move.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? So Dude, so yeah, so uh, as I said I grew up in Michigan. I was a uh, Football player, you know, my whole life and all the way through high school. Good high school football player, captain of my team and all conference or whatever. But I was more like a Division three college player, talent-wise. But I loved the game. I had a burning passion for it. And I said, okay, I can go to a small Division three school and go play football and probably be a good contributing member there. Or I can start gearing my life towards what I hope it will become, and that is as a broadcaster – covering football for years and years and years long after my playing days are done. And that's what I t- decided to do. My dad and I researched schools and said, "Hey, who has the best broadcasting program that we can we can, you know, that I can get into? Who has the best sports casting program?" And obviously Syracuse is par excellence. It's it's the best, right? So I went there and I got rejected from Newhouse by the way. So if any no any Newhouse uh Uh, You know, elder professors are listening in right now that would have been making admissions uh, thumbs up, thumbs down in the the late 80s, early 90s. You know, I I put that chip on my shoulder and ran with it. Uh, But I got rejected from Newhouse the first time. Second time I I applied, I got rejected from Newhouse. But I got an uh, option to go into the arts and sciences school. And they said you can transfer into Newhouse if you get this high of a grade point average, if you take this many credit hours, if you jump through X, Y, and Z hoops. So I decided to gear myself towards that. Well, in the summer leading up to my freshman year, I was like, I, I still I got football in my blood. I want to try it. And I said, Dad, I want to I walk on the team there. And so I wrote Dick McPherson, obviously the legendary coach. I wrote Coach Mack a letter. And I said, Coach, you don't know me. You know, I'm from Michigan. Uh, you know, here's my credentials. Here's my, you know, height, weight, speed, all that type of stuff. I would love to come and try and walk on the Syracuse team. Didn't hear anything back. So another week later, I wrote another another letter. You know, showed him I was persistent. Well, this happened. I got no response for about five or six letters, and I said, "You know what? I must have the wrong zip code or something like that." Right? I was right, I was too yeah. so naive to think that it was he couldn't Coach Mack couldn't <laughs> care less about some scrub from Michigan trying to get on the Syracuse football team. He had bigger fish to fry. So I wrote what what had to have been the sixth or seventh letter, and uh, the story is relayed to me. Uh, a few years later, that Coach Mack walked into his staff meeting room. This is leading up to my freshman season, the fall of, of uh, 1989. And boy, I'm old. Uh, and he drops these letters on the table and he says, There's some, in his big booming voice, there's some kid from Michigan who wants to walk on here. So he assigned these letters that I wrote to one of his position coaches. I think it was Bob Casulo was, was the first coach, right. that, or Dave Euris was yep. another coach there who went on to the NFL. But one of those two guys got me, and they, and they called me on, on the phone number that I put on there, on all six or seven of the letters, and said, all right, you got a four-day tryout to come out to, to try and make the Syracuse football team. And my heart was just racing. So my persistence paid off. I went out there for the four-day tryout. I showed just enough to get on the team, and I was on the team for four years. However, bringing sorry for the long answer here. No, but, I'm loving this. Uh, but I was Rudy because I never got into a game. So you remember Rudy's story? He was beat up practice player, and that's what <laughs> I was for four years without the glorified walk off, you know, sack on the home field at the end of of my senior year. Uh, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I was grateful and thankful that the coaches would take a chance on me and let just a uh, You know, just a scrappy, persistent, energetic, enthusiastic, passionate football player on their team. And I ended up being, you know, as good as I could be on the team with the limited physical gifts. Uh, I was the scout team player of the year one year. I was, I was a guy who the coaches knew. If we had Hanson in a drill to give the first and second string guys a look at a coverage at a, a scheme at a pass pattern or whatever, Hanson's going to go 100% all the time and, and do it to the best in, that we tell him to do it. And I, I was very, very thankful for that experience. And you know what? We uh, went to four bowl games in my four seasons, won all four bowl games, 1991 regular season, 1992 regular season. We went 20-4 and four in my junior and senior year. Uh, And the four losses were to some big name players and big name programs, and uh, went up, uh, went and beat Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl my senior year, January first, nineteen ninety three. That was, and uh, finished fifth or sixth in the country, and it was an amazing, amazing experience to be a part of a big time athletic program, a big time football program. And it benefits me to this day as I entertain America with one of the most popular NFL shows there is.
0: I was going to say persistence pays off there. Truly a, a Rudy story. Uh, you know, when Coach Mack passed away not too long ago, we heard so many stories of people that, you know, he helped out in some way, shape, or form. I talked to Sean McDonough, who said, you "Oh, know, sure, I'm sure you've heard that story that he that he told at, at Coach Mac's service about how he paid for him to go to school." And yeah, you know, it's amazing. amazing to hear that amazing. how many people he helped. I've for got football. one for you. Sure. I've got one. Yeah. So I
1: read. I, I was not able to fly back. Coach Max funeral. I, I, I really regretted it, but I, I wasn't able to work my schedule out. Uh, but of course, I read all the accounts online that I could of you know how it went. There were some videos posted and all the remembrances. And I stopped, you know, and I was praying for Coach Max family and thinking back on him. And uh, here's one. I don't know if anyone shared, but all of his old players will remember this. When we would stretch, okay, first you know, you're young. College kids, you think you, you're invincible. You don't need to stretch. But they always demand, you know, you take care of your body. And the first thing we would do is warm up and stretch before every practice, right? Okay, everyone's familiar with that. Well, Coach Mack, even in his, you know, elder years, I was a freshman and a sophomore during Coach Mack's last two years at Syracuse before going on to the Patriots. And Coach Mack would get down and he would stretch with us very often, almost every day, to my memory. But he would yell out. During the stretch, he would yell out a hometown. So, for instance, Albany, New York would, would come out of nowhere. Or Brockton, Massachusetts. <laughs> he had every – you would think this is no big deal, but, but he had every – we had 100 guys. Back then it was 95 scholarship guys, and we had about five, six, seven walk-ons to any given year. So about 100 guys on the team. He had everyone's hometown – and high school memorized. And he would just bellow out one randomly during stretch. So what it did was it made us engaged because you listen. Is he going to say mine today? Is he going to say mine? Which is just like identifying you, whether you were a scrub walk-on like me, or you were Marvin Graves, the star quarterback. And it was it was an amazing, fascinating thing, and I didn't really appreciate it Uh, At the time for what it was, but now as a grown man who's, you know, been overseeing other young people in my day and trying to make them feel special at times, I thought it was an ingenious psychological thing that he did. And it wasn't even, I think it was a ploy by him or anything, but it was just his way of a touchstone to every single guy, every single person in that program is special. That's incredible. And I'll never never forget Coach Mack. Never forget him. Two
0: thoughts on that, Scott. It's incredible to hear that story, which I had not heard, but I I have to tell you this. So I did a project recently on Syracuse.com last year. We look back on the 30th anniversary of the 87 undefeated football team. So Mm -hmm. I've got access to every photo we've ever taken of that team, and I'm going through the archives, which smelled wonderful, by the way, old newspaper (laughs) photos. And I couldn't tell you how many pictures, and we used a couple of them in the piece, of Coach Mac stretching, and I'm going through these pictures. I'm like, "Look at this that's, guy!
1: He's out there, it.
0: and he's that's it. And it wasn't just like going through the motions; like he could do it. That guy could yep. bend more than Richard Simmons back in the day. It seemed like.
1: Yep. I don't know if you remember our old All American center, John Flannery. Yes. So absolutely. Flann, uh, uh, kid from uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, he could. He was six three, six four. And about 300, maybe 305. He could do a full split. Okay, athletic, athletic dude. Um, and he used to be one. He was uh, team captain. I'm thinking with his senior year, he was team captain, or he's certainly one of the leaders on the team, guy that everyone looked to. And so he used to stretch up in the front, and Mac would be facing the team and be up in the front as well. And Mac would try and even he couldn't do a split. But Mac would get down there with John Flannery, one of the more athletic and, and talented football players in the country, who at the time was you know 22 years old. And here's Mac at whatever age he was at that time, getting down there and doing stretches with him. And and that that image is burned in my head.
0: Scott, uh, another quick thought there on stretching. Uh, we know what Bob Wiley, the uh, coach for the Cleveland Browns, thinks of stretching. I don't know if you saw <laughs> that that Hard Knocks clip, but uh, that uh, yeah. made me think of that.
1: Uh, as oh, well. I know it. Yeah. And and well, the other thing about that one is so nowadays, college programs certainly the NFL guys they've got all the the music bumping right. They've right. got yeah. you know whatever you know Kendrick Lamar, Beyonce, whatever whatever the the music of the day is, they've got it bumping during stretching stuff. We had no music back then, and so that's what made Mac. It was mostly silent, or guys maybe chirping at each other about what I'm going to do in practice today or whatever. But it was mostly silent. Or our strength coach yelling out the commands to, okay, hamstring stretch, okay, you know, torso stretch, whatever it was. And so Mac yelling out our hometowns, just one or two every day, or maybe a few, depending on what his mood was, was the thing that I remember about how every practice started. Um you got well, you got time for one more Mac story? Oh I got we move time on? for
0: I got time for as many as you can uh, pump out here, my man. Absolutely. This
1: one I still tell this one, and, and this is another one I would have told, and maybe someone at the at the funeral or someone you know during the the after party, I guess, celebrating the man's life, maybe would have told. But all his old players will remember this too. We would take a water break, and this would be during two days in August before the season started. So it's, you know, it can obviously get pretty darn hot and, you know, full pads and everything. We're sweating, we're dying, and we would take a water break. We only got, we ran some tough practices. We only got one water break maybe per practice or maybe two. I I can't remember. But we would take a water break and everyone would just go over. We had this trough, which was a pipe, maybe about three or four inches around, and they would hook a hose up to the end of it, and the pipe was probably uh, maybe 30, 40 feet long, and it was it was uh, suspended in the air. They put, like, little legs on the bottom of the pipe, so it was about at waist level if you walked up to this pipe, laying parallel to the ground, and then they drilled holes in it. So they popped the hose in the one end, they tapped the other end, and then they turned the hose on. So if you can picture it, water is spurting out like Instant every sprinkler. four, or six yeah. inches, right? <laughs> Just shooting out, and that was how you got it. They didn't hand out cups of water or anything, right? So we would run over to the trough, and water break was certainly timed, so you had maybe 90 seconds to two minutes to get as much as you could get in your belly and go back. Well, Mac always got a cup of water. He always got one brought to him, right? You know, obviously he's the the figurehead, the head coach, the leader. So he would take this cool drink of water, and our water was coming out of the hose. If you're one of the first guys to the hose, you got, like, hot water because you know, it had been laying in the hose for a while before it <laughs> shot out of this this crude pipe thing. But Mac got himself always an ice glass of ice water. And one time, I was standing next to him, and he was drinking his cup of ice water. And I had just got done off the trough, and I hear him. And I won't do it in the Mac voice because my Mac impression is not that great. But you can picture it yourselves for for those who remember his voice. Uh, and he would say, "Men," he'd hold up his ice water after taking a very satisfying sip, and he would say, men, they all tried. Budweiser, Coca-Cola, Coors, they all tried, but no one could make a drink better than God. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And he said it in his booming voice with such conviction that everybody on the field could hear him. And just picture Mac in his voice. They—they all tried, men, and none of them can do it. All right, I'm, I'm going to take a crack oh, at
0: this, Scott, because I—I'm I, a little rusty. I haven't done it for a while. I—I I do a little bit of a Mac impression. So lay me, it on let me. let me let me give this to you, men. They've all tried, Coca-Cola, Budweiser, all of them, but no one has made a drink as good as God.
1: You know what? There you go. You got the New England. You got the New England. Yeah, you got to get that uh, New England in there. Inge into it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. But when he got loud when he was on the football field, remember, he was, he had to yell over the course of, you know, a whole bunch of people. So he got this booming, uh, uh, you know, kind of tempo and booming uh, uh, cadence to his voice where where it was just unmistakable. And, uh, man, I, oh, there's, I'm sure I've got notebooks full of stuff that he said and and life lessons that he taught and, and he you know, he lived what he taught too. He really cared about people, uh and he was a winner. He didn't compromise he didn't compromise things for, for winning, but he, he told it like it was to his players. And uh oh God bless Coach Mack.
0: Scott, I, I could do these stories all day. They are fantastic. We'll do a spinoff series one day of, of, of coach backstories. That's great. But you you brought it up. So when you played football at Syracuse but couldn't, you know, you didn't get in, but loved your time as a football player, persisted to get into the Newhouse School of Communications and how that comes full circle, not only at the Red Zone and the NFL Network where you are, but but through your career. But let's come up to... When the red zone started, I'm sure you've told the story before, but for those that haven't heard it, what was the first conversation like when somebody pitched you this idea?
1: Well, believe it or not, it was actually in reverse. I had heard rumors. I was already a roving reporter at NFL Network, so they would... Uh, you know, pick up. I'd pick up the phone, and it would be my assignment editor, and he would say, hey, fly to Carolina. You're going to the Panthers game this weekend. Or head up to Chicago. Uh, they've got something going on there. You're going to practice on Wednesday for the Bears. And I used to fly around the NFL world and cover practices, cover games. So they had already, NFL Network had already seen my work, knew my work, knew my energy, my knowledge, my passion for the game, and all these types of things. And I heard a rumor one summer that we were going to start a channel, and, and I kind of heard what it was kind of going to be like, and I was like, oh, man, if I could get that show, if I could be host of that show, I really, and I, this is just me talking to myself. I mean, it's going to sound like I'm bragging now because I'm saying it to an audience here, but I'm just telling you this is the origin of it from, from my viewpoint. I said, if I could get that show, I, I know I would crush it in that role. I, I, I could really, really excel, and I, beyond that, I would love to do it. Because when they sent me to Foxborough to go cover the Patriots game, I'd be the guy up in the press box with my laptop opened up, but I'd be watching the Patriots play whoever in front of me, and I'd be jabbing the reporter on my left and on, the, on my right in the elbow saying, hey, hey, do you see that so-and-so's got 300 yards passing in the other game, some other game somewhere else? Or hey, hey, so-and-so's got 100 yards rushing in the first half in the Baltimore game or whatever, games that were on elsewhere in the country as we were watching a live football game in front of us. So I always loved the concept of the 10,000-foot view of the NFL, everything that's going on at that moment. So I called up one of the executives at NFL Network, and I said, uh, hey, is it true? His name's Jamie Heeman. He's uh, he's an attorney at at NFL Network and, and one of our talent coordinators. I said, Jamie, is it true? That we're starting up a, a red zone channel and he's like yeah it's true i said who you got to host it he said well we're looking right now i said is my name on the list and he kind of giggled and he's like yeah your name's on the <laughs> list definitely and they brought me in to do a uh, uh, an audition Now, for those who are in the audience right now, those people who are listening to us have this conversation. I I know you know this, Brent, but uh, for those who who don't understand, usually an audition for a radio job, a television job, a broadcasting job is usually very short, maybe 10 minutes or so. Someone wants to hear how you look on camera, see how you look on camera, hear how you sound in the microphone, that type of thing. Well, for Red Zone, they had to establish stamina which is one of the job demands. It's a seven-hour show with no commercials. So the audition was five hours long. Wow. They, they took old football games, put them into tape machines, push, press play simultaneously, and said, go, start talking. <laughs> Without any prep work, I didn't know which games they were using right. or whatever else, and I had to kind of, you know, manufacture a broadcast from this. I flopped, sweated through my suit that I wore to the audition. I came out of there five hours later with my head absolutely spinning. I had no idea if I did well in the audition or not. Um, and I said, okay, that's, I gave everything I got. I tried to show my knowledge of the game, my passion for the game, my ability to get in and out of different games and transition and the, and the things that the job demands. And then I, I, Went back to being a roving reporter. About two weeks later, it was in uh, preseason training camp. I get a phone call from the executive producer at NFL Network at, at the time, uh, Eric Weinberger is his name, and, and he said, uh, Scott, I want to call and offer you the hosting role of NFL Red Zone. And I said, Eric, this is the best decision you're ever going to make. I am going to tear the cover off the ball at that assignment. Awesome. And, uh, and I was just confident, I was confident in a couple things, one in my own abilities, but I was confident that if we did this show the right way, if we did it the way that I could picture it and the way that our producers pictured it, it would change the way people watch football. And I hear every week, here we are going into our 10th season now, and I hear every week from fans saying, Scott, you guys changed the way I watch football. It's, it's a very, very gratifying thing to be a part of. There's
0: no question about it. It changed the way I watch football. I'm a Bills fan. I watch the Bills, and then it's Scott Hansen in the house, Red uh, Zone, while we're doing the thing, and I always love it because it's you and it's Andrew Siciliano, you know, simultaneously who handles on direct TV. On TV, yes. two Syracuse guys that are the center of the football universe for a Sunday. It's, it's
1: amazing, and Andrew and I are buddies, uh, colleagues at NFL Media, and— uh, people think we're adversaries because he hosts the Red Zone channel on DirecTV and I host NFL Red Zone, which is seen everywhere else around the world besides DirecTV. Uh, and, and that's just not the case. That's, you know, it's not the case. We both love the game. We both respect each other. We're both Q's guys. And that, that <clears throat> excuse me, that absolutely thrills us that two Syracuse guys, as you just said, are kind of at the epicenter of the, of the football universe during the most important time of the football calendar. Uh, He does a great, great job. I don't know if you've had him as a guest on on your podcast, but I would highly recommend uh, you guys having him on at some point, too.
0: Now, do you get the same feed sent to you, or is it an entirely different production?
1: Different production, different studio, different production, different uh, staff. Uh, He's in a completely different building. Uh, Ours is operated by the NFL, so we are the NFL. Gotcha. Direct TVs is a separate production where Andrew, for that day, is an employee of, for DirecTV. Now, DirecTV has a very, very close and longstanding business relationship with the NFL, so it's only one step away from that, but ours is the NFL, and we control the Fox and CBS feeds that are coming in and take you to whatever game. So when the Red Zone channel on DirecTV is on the Titans game, we're on the Cowboys game. We're making our own choices you know a lot of times it's pretty obvious what game is the hottest game at the time but they are two different productions
0: i think people really appreciate scott not only your knowledge and what you do and and how you do it but i think people appreciate that it is live and i think we're going along for the ride with you sometimes like you'll see a game like wait a minute we got to go back to that one or we got to four box yeah. that one like you're yeah. not only commentating like you're in the role where you're kind of directing too and you're working with that crew and i think fans sometimes say wait go back they're they're, they're in the red zone there and like you notice that i think fans really connect with that And that, that's a lot of fun to watch for sure
1: well thank you yeah it's a good observation by you and and yeah i have been accused of my producers of uh producing from the set <laughs> or producing from the desk, which is kind of in, in traditional television that's kind of a no-no but we have a great staff. Brian Nettles, our, our producer who does the early games. Ryan Young, who does the late games. Alan Flowers, our coordinating producer. We all say, guys, we are checking our egos at the door. And we are here to bring the best to the, to the United States of America, the best and favorite sport, and therefore basically the biggest form of entertainment in our country five months out of the year. We're bringing the best, and it doesn't matter how we get it. Doesn't matter if the guy who empties the trash can says, "Hey, look, the Falcons are in the red zone." If he's right, let's get there and do it. And uh, you know, it's it's hopefully a very enjoyable watch.
0: Scott, final question for you here. Yeah. I know you're also doing some work on uh, Total Access and and you know taking on a bigger role on the NFL Network. So you're examining all the storylines going through training camp. We're coming down the home stretch here. Even on the day we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, Aaron Rodgers just became. Uh, a very rich man,
1: uh, <laughs> richer. I would richer. say, he was, already he, yeah, rich. Yeah. He, he
0: was already doing okay, but uh, he's uh, he's in an entirely different tax bracket now. Teddy Bridgewater gets traded to the Saints, so there's things happening yeah. here. But as we're on the dawn of a new season, what's the one storyline that fascinates you the most about this upcoming 2018 Ooh, season?
1: I would say there's so many great storylines. So many starting quarterbacks switch teams this off season. But to me, it's still about the goat. Is Tom Brady still the best? And are the Patriots uh, still the king? And can anyone knock them off in the AFC? We know that they can get knocked off in the Super Bowl. Obviously, that just happened. But are they still the gold standard? And can Tom Brady, coming off an MVP season, still have an excellent season at 41 years old, which is really something we've never seen before. We saw Brett Favre have one year when he turned 40, where he was an MVP candidate, Tom Brady now, and, and then the next year, far fell off the face of the earth, and then he did officially retire, right? It's, it's almost impossible what we're seeing Tom Brady do. So if you had to pin me down and say, give me one storyline that if I'm a casual fan, I should watch, it's, look at it, these guys are the best. They're in, in, a, in a sport that does not lend itself to dynasties at all because of the draft, because of the salary cap, because of the constant turnover in players, it is the dynasty. And Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. There is no argument anymore. And now it's, is he the greatest football player of all time, which you might be able to argue. And some people would argue that you could have the discussion, is he the greatest team sport player of all time? up there with michael jordan and and the greatest baseball players of all time so is he still at his best in his 41st year on the earth and can the patriots climb the mountain again and get to the super bowl that to me is storyline number one
0: okay scott i'm going to sign off this way uh i don't know this offhand i should know this from my my research but i'm going to ask you so what is your hometown
1: I'm in Los Angeles. NFL Network is located in Los Angeles, okay. and uh, and I moved out here uh, a few years ago. Okay, yep. so
0: we'll, we'll do it this way. Squad Hansen, Los Angeles, <laughs> California. Thanks for joining us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Now go get some water.
1: Well done. Well said. And uh, to all the folks, I know this goes beyond Syracuse, but if I might speak to the Syracuse audience for just a moment, uh, and I might get a little emotional when I say this because There was a little kid from Michigan uh, who grew up with all kinds of football dreams. And um, when I knew in high school that I was not going to grow into an NFL type player, I said, I have a dream to stay around the sport that I love so much. Where can I go to start me off on a path to adulthood to become a sportscaster that would keep me in and around the game that I love for the rest of my life? And it was Syracuse, New York, and Syracuse University. And I met people who I still love and keep in touch with to this day. And I had experiences there that were invaluable to me. And I made uh, relationships that um, are still strong. And it's a special place. And I know the university has its ups and downs. The city of Syracuse has its ups and downs. Uh, The whole part of, of, of central New York there has its ups and downs. But I am so grateful, so thankful to have spent four and a half years of my life in my formative years there, and it'll always, always have a special place in my heart.
0: You really could feel the love there from Scott, couldn't you? He loves his time at Syracuse, and we love watching him on the NFL Network. Make sure you're tuning in throughout the NFL season on the Red Zone channel, one of the great inventions, frankly, in the history of television, if you ask me as a big football fan. Well, that's it for this week's Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Don't forget to subscribe, okay, in iTunes or Google Play. Just find Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit the subscribe button, and we'll send you brand new episodes when they come out. I'm Brent Dax. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.